Hi folks, welcome back to the PocketGamer.biz podcast with me, your host, Brian Bagwell. It's summer 2022 as we record this and Europe is baking and sweltering under unprecedented temperatures. And what that means is that the PocketGamer.biz team are off, scattered to the four corners of the planet, doing interviews, attending events, talking to the movers, the shakers, the makers and the publishers of the best in mobile gaming. So we'll have lots of fantastic content coming your way in, in the very near future. But what that means for us today is that I am flying solo, so you're going to have to put up with me and me alone, I'm afraid. However, later in this episode, we have the fantastic Jackie Jin, the CEO and founder of Squid Games, based out in the west coast of the US. And she's going to be talking to us about the studio's journey, their work on casual games, and uh, the pressures and challenges she's finding leading a casual game studio in 2022. Stay tuned because it's absolutely worth hearing. Of course, the whole issue of game design development and monetization has been much in our minds recently, thanks to the recent news of Unity's merger with IronSource, uh, giving devs, the company claims, far more control over the design and development of their games when it comes to monetization. And uh, that's proved controversial for some, because there are many developers out there who just want to focus on making good games, which we can all get on board with. I think we're all games fans here. But the CEO of the company, John Riccatello, went on file as saying that developers who are not planning monetization and uh, using the new tools are perhaps not giving themselves the best opportunities. Let's just put it that way. It is a family-friendly show. And he may have dropped the F-bomb, you know. Um, however, it sparked something of a backlash and we now have a debate going on worldwide about whether game developers can afford to ignore data and monetization and all of the new opportunities which are being offered to them through the various tools, technologies and platforms at the moment. In increasingly saturated markets and in increasingly challenging marketplaces and storefronts, the developers who seem to be succeeding are the ones who are smart about the ways they use their data and about how they design the entire game for their audience, not just the levels, the mechanics, the controls and the gameplay, but the whole meta experience, including monetization. And indeed, Jackie and I touched on that a couple of times in our interview. So without further ado, we're going to take you straight into the interview. We're going to hear from Jackie. Let's find out more about Squid Games and what it is they're up to. She has a background in economics from Stanford University and her work experience includes leading product on multiple casual titles at Zynga, which we're going to come back to, Jackie, I promise you. And her favourite game at the moment is Breath of the Wild. Jackie, welcome. Thanks very much for having me. So Breath of the Wild, good choice. What is it about Breath of the Wild that's exciting you right now? Oh man, um, so much to talk about there. Uh, Breath of the Wild is awesome. It's uh, it's yet to be dethroned as my favorite game of the moment. Um, I just really love how they really elegantly managed to tie together um, compelling gameplay with narrative. And, you know, I think the Zelda games in general are really great at sort of keeping the player engaged through these like evolving puzzles while, you know, never never condescending to them you know it's just a it's just a really great mixture of challenge and like sort of wholesome delight fantastic well i can't argue with any of that it's as somebody who's been enjoying zelda since uh, arguably the very very early days indeed 
It's so nice to meet a, a founder of a new company that's going out and unashamedly pushing into to new areas. Uh, so before we get on to Squid Games, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what led you into games? Why are you here? Yeah, um, it's actually kind of a funny story. So uh, I studied economics um, in school and like a lot of econ majors, I was pretty sure I was going to go into consulting or finance. And while I was in school, we were sort of, uh, I, was, I was part of this consulting, consulting group uh, at Stanford, which works with corporations. And it's sort of like a real consulting firm. We, like we got paid for uh, our consulting services as sort of like a precursor to consulting careers. Um, and one of the companies I worked with, um, I am not allowed to say which one, but is a large entertainment company that has like a fairly robust interactive uh, entertainment branch. Um, we were going. We were working on a go-to-market strategy for one of their new games. And while I was doing this, it just became really obvious that games are a blast to work on. Um, and so after that, I did an internship and you know worked on a really cool Star Wars game uh, at Disney. And um, just sort of really cemented my my love for working for working in games. And after that, I took a position uh, at Zynga as a product manager, where I was for about three years. That's amazing. And so, how many times in the last couple of years since you've set up Squid Games have you thought I should have gone into consultancy? <laughs> oh man, uh, absolutely never. Uh, luckily, I, I once I once I started working in games, I just have not looked back. It's just it's actually the the moment I realized that I wanted to work in games for a really long time uh, is when I walked in in one of my first meetings at Disney uh, when I was working on Star Wars Commander and I saw a graph on the whiteboard and the axes were coins and Chewbacca's um, and I was like there is just nothing that could possibly be more fun than this. If you're creating, a, you know. Wookie coin, or if you're doing something that involves Wookies in any way, then yes, I, I would have to agree with that. But it, it's quite an unusual approach, you know. I, I have been around this sector for a long, long time, so I remember when it was big teams, it was big budgets, it was consoles, and it's only really in the era of the App Store that, that things have changed and that we've really seen a new approach to development and it's opened the door to so many people who have a very different idea of of games so when you started squid games was it was it specifically looking at mobile or is mobile just one of the many sort of platforms that you're you're exploring right now yeah um definitely starting with a focus in mobile just because that's where all of my experiences and i'm a pretty firm believer that uh you know, you should really work on what you know and try in doing so to learn more about the areas you don't know. So for sure, not uh, not tied long term to mobile uh, forever necessarily, but um, that's definitely where our focus is right now. And tell me a little more about Squid Games. Why why did you go out and, and found your own studio and, and what's your goal? Yeah, um, that's a really that's a really big question. While I was at Zynga, I... I sort of had a great time learning about working on casual games and, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of considered a great place to kick off your product career just because game, game PMs generally have the reputation for being pretty, pretty meticulous and ruthless in a way. Um, but while I was there, I found that, you know, I, I found it really interesting the way that game design was approached. 
And uh, companies like Zynga are great at what they do, um, but I just felt like there was something missing from the casual industry. And what I noticed is that over the last 10 years, a lot of the game sectors, you know, AAA, indie, of course, um, have evolved and grown so much and sort of challenged themselves to explore new mechanics and ways of interacting with players. And I just felt like that was not quite there with casual games. And so sort of that began my journey of like thinking about whether or not it was even feasible to present um, new mechanics to really push the envelope a little bit with casual games, whether or not players were ready for that. And after some, you know, after some years at Zynga and working with players and sort of analyzing their interactions and what they were doing, what they were spending time on in games, I felt like the answer was a resounding yes. Like players are ready. Uh, they, they really love new types of content. They're hungry for it. And I just felt like uh, it would be so much fun to work on pushing the boundaries of what is considered a casual game. And um, the, the long-term goal really is to sort of hopefully grow the bounds of this industry and, you know, maybe challenge other big players in the industry to take a look at how they're working on the creative side of their game development and how, you know, we can offer something really interesting and delightful to players. I mean, the focus has to be on the players because that's, you know, in such a, a overcrowded market, then you only have people's attention for so long. So so what are the, sort of the primary challenges facing developers working in the casual sector? Because we're starting to see a, a lot of splintering out. You know, we've got hyper-casual, hybrid-casual, casual-casual, post-casual. Where does Squid Games sit in this and what's your own particular approach to games? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Working on new genres has definitely a very large set of unique challenges, not least of which is that there aren't a lot of comps for a new type of game, right? And comps are traditionally really what drives a lot of casual, a new casual game development. Um, companies really want to see that concepts are tested and proven before they start going after those those ideas. So it's definitely it's definitely interesting to be on the side that's sort of trying to create new types of games. Okay, so so tell us a little more about the the games that Squid is is working on. What have you released? What are you planning to release? And what kind of sets you apart from from the other casual studios out there? Yeah, so we're working on our first title right now, actually, and um, it's a genre mashup between Match Three and Platformer. Um, with sort of a, a really cool progression and town building meta system. I think that's pretty unique in and of itself. Like we're working on something that doesn't really exist yet um, and really building it from the ground up, trying to index on delight, player engagement, what's going to keep players super happy and interested in you know, the narrative of the game, the characters of this game, um, this world, like we're really big on introducing some world building into the casual space. Mm -hmm. Um, We just, it just really seems like um, the players that are, you know, interested in these games, they're increasingly showing themselves to be really interested in narrative. And it's been a long time coming that we're introducing narrative into these casual games. And we're just trying to continue to elevate that, you know, like pushing pushing sort of the the existing theories on what casual players are interested in and trying to offer some them something that's like a step function above what's currently on the market. The focus on narrative, I guess, doesn't 
doesn't take me enormously by surprise. So I, I started off uh, working in games as a writer. It's, oh, well, cool. narrative designer, but it was before we called them narrative designers. It was just, it was the writer. It's We've done the level design, give it to the writer, let him make sense of it. But from the very earliest days, you know, it, it's having that compelling narrative, having that, that kind of consistent world environment for people to move through, give them something to care about. Certainly. You know, even if you're... If your game is designed to be snackable and enjoyed in bite-sized pieces, it doesn't mean it has to be overly simplistic. You don't have to treat your, your player like an idiot. So I absolutely hear where you're coming from. And how are you approaching this? Are you are you working purely internally? Uh, do you have a little test audience? Are you going out there doing a little bit of focus groups? How are you making sure that this is what people want? Yeah, well, for new genres, it's especially important that you validate the concept, right? Because you don't have something out there like Candy Crush that proves unequivocally that players absolutely love Match 3 games, right? Like, So what we're doing is we're doing playtesting uh, with small focus groups and you know, looking at their screen recordings as they're playing our title, looking carefully at their feedback, what they like, what they don't like, um, and sort of really making sure that the game concept is something that, uh, well, first of all, like you said, is snackable, you know, something that players are actually interested in engaging with before really trying to add on all this world building and narrative and meta system that we think is going to really hook them longer term. Um, so that's kind of our, our current approach. And as we, as we continue development, you know, we're, we're working on larger and larger chunks of the game to play test and, uh, you know, eventually soft launch and try to get a lot of good metrics and data from that. Is that kind of focused entirely on the content or are you also exploring monetization, business models, all the ways in which you can actually realize value from your audience from the game? Because casual kind of sits at that sweet point where you can use ads, you can use in-game ads, playable ads, you can you know, monetize DLC. There's a whole range of options, which I think actually opens up a whole bunch of possibilities for developers. Yeah, definitely. Well, luckily I have uh, a lot of experience working on the monetization side of things uh, from Zynga. And it's really interesting, actually. Like At this early stage, we're mostly like, you can't really test monetization from focus groups. That's kind of where mm -hmm. soft launch comes in, you know, and you'll be able to see how this thing plays in the wild. Um, but for sure, we're, we're definitely making a focus on IAP, really giving the players something, like you said, to care about, you know, and I, I, the concept is that, you know, if players care about this, they're going to buy vanity items, they're going to buy unique and interesting power ups and sort of really be interested in this world and engaging with this world. Um, you know, ads are sort of an open question for us at the moment. Um, there's been some big news in the ads in the ads world lately. Um, oh yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, but you know, that's a uh, that's definitely not the primary uh, sort of focus right now. In terms of, we don't want to rely on ads um, to bring in you know the bottom line. We're really hoping that. Uh, players are going to want to engage with this economy, and that's kind of what we're what we're focusing on. How are you also looking at the marketing, the community? Yeah, we're definitely taking um, a traditional approach when it comes to the sort of core of the game development pipeline, mostly because we're taking so many risks on the game design side that it really mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense for us to you know uh, take the take the successful playbook and give our title its best possible chance at you know becoming becoming a hit. 
So in that sense, yeah, definitely regional markets at first, um, taking a look at how engagement metrics play out, uh, you know, retention metrics play out and, um, you know, building out sort of what we think of as the most important parts of the game and then building on it from there after we get some of those data points in. Is, is this a solo project or are you guys working with a publisher or partners? Uh, right now we're working entirely internally. Um, we do have sort of... Uh, contractor partners that we're working with Mm -hmm. um you know we have a really great team in ukraine that's helping us a little bit on the engineering side but we do have our in-house engineer and um you know we're trying to keep this as much of a studio project as possible so how have you guys been testing the market have you been going to any of the events since we're allowed back out into the world now and are you going to be ramping up the the sort of the marketing side of things in the near future what sort of release date are we looking at yeah we're hoping for um you know early early next year um right now well you know we've been doing certain certainly like outreach sort of feelers where you know we'll go to gdc i'm hoping to go to the london pocket gamer uh uh conference in I think January um, and uh, we're doing a lot of playtesting and right now we're also embarking on some user acquisition tests where you know I'm sure as you as you know one of the big challenges one of the two big levers I would say about whether or not your game can succeed is your costs per install um, which these days is not so easy to get in the sweet spot um, because of a lot of, you know, Apple regulations and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of what we're testing. And in that vein, you know, what one thing that I am like on principle opposed to is misleading ads, which is one of the easiest ways to get your cost per install down, but at the cost of, you know, player trust and um, a whole, just a general ethical problem, in, you know, as a whole. So we're really kind of trying to see if our new game concept and you know, focused attention to delight will translate to, you know, ads that are basically screen caps that players will see and be like, that looks really cool, you know? Yeah, I, I think your your integrity and your credibility are something that can take a long time to build and is very easily destroyed. And I think it's one of the one of the bigger challenges facing independent small studios out there at the moment is, you know, in the rush to get a game out and the rush to monetize and the rush to kind of get that audience it can be all too easy to make a decision that you come to regret later on. I believe Squid has been uh, up and running for a couple of years now? Yeah, it's about two years, coming up on two years. So yeah, so, so what are the biggest challenges that you're finding as a, a new entrant, as a young studio out there working in the fiercely competitive global mobile market? Absolutely. Um, it's You know, it's so interesting. Like the hardest thing, I guess, so far would just be the learning curve. Um, which is kind of a cop out of an answer since, you know, everything falls under a learning curve. But I would say some of the big challenges include, you know, for sure recruiting the, the competition for talent out there is absolutely, you know, uh, a bloodbath um, in general. But, you know, it's especially hard for a new studio. Like, how do you how do you convince someone to join a one person or two person or three person team? And um, it's actually quite humbling. It's really it's really amazing to see people see the vision and then choose to take a chance on on squid games on this new studio um and sort of you know really believe that this could be something that could you know contribute something meaningful to the industry i I think that's a really interesting point because you've mentioned the word joy a couple of times and and you know it's not a 
it's not strangely a word that gets bandied around the games industry very often. Um, sometimes I almost feel like the word fun kind of comes with its own baggage and, and people are afraid to say, you know, our game is just fun, despite the fact that you would kind of hope that was a basic principle of the of the design. Is Squid focused on, I don't want to say the wholesome games movement, but is it something that you're you're kind of really trying to build in to everything that you do? Absolutely. That's, you know, that's actually a great way of putting it. Like we, one thing that a lot of our team members say is that we hear the feedback a lot, that it's nice to work on a project where we're really indexing on one, contributing something to the space, working on new genres, trying something different, and also focusing on player delight. Um, the wholesome game movement is really interesting. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense for the casual space, right? Like the world is quite a scary place at times and games by nature are a way that players, people really can sort of have some fun that, you know, have fun and escape a little bit from their problems and, you know, find a world that they feel so at home in and can, you know, really contribute something positive to their lives. And the thesis that we have is that, you know, that is something that won't go unrecognized when it hits the market, that players are looking for something where the design is transparently focused on bringing, bringing happiness and bringing joy. I think it, all too often it can be common for, for developers to really push the notion of the difficulty curve. You've got to keep people coming back. You've got to challenge them. You've got to be operating at the outer limits of your, your capabilities for, you know, ultimate happiness. And for a lot of people, that's not the case. You know, I, as somebody who is playing fewer and fewer games these days and more and more of the games I play are, are on mobile, I'm not necessarily looking for something that is going to punish me and, you know, actively seek to kick me out of the game or, or to beat me about the head and f shoulders. So I, I'm really enjoying a lot of the games out there that are more collaborative, that involve other people, but in a non, not necessarily a competitive way. So I think you've, you've got a really strong angle. And if you're bringing that into your sense of culture, then, yeah, I'm not surprised that you're getting a, a positive response because making games should be fun, shouldn't it? You know, behind the headlines, behind all of the sort of the horror stories, if you're making games for a living, it should be fun. Or am I? <laughs> uh, I don't think you're missing anything. Absolutely. Like, it's almost, you know, there's been a lot of negative news lately about the games industry and sort of the toxic cultures that go on and sort of the really, the really bad things that happen behind closed doors. And it's really a tragedy because because games are about joy, right? They're about delight and engaging with something that is going to bring you happiness. And so it absolutely should be fun working on games. And what I find is that a lot of the people in the industry got into the industry because they love games. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of them over the years are beaten into sort of a cynicism about, about the projects they work on and the, the motivations, especially the free-to-play space um, of the projects they're on. And that is just a bummer, you know? Like, we should really, I think, as an industry, not only be focusing on fun for the players, but, you know, healthy cultures, um, places where people can feel like they have the opportunity to contribute to something creative and meaningful and just feel fulfilled about, about working, you know? A lot of the industry, a growing number of the industry, especially at the indie end and, and the smaller studios, recognise the value of having that sort of collaborative, communicative, inclusive, diverse company culture 
as benefiting everybody. You know, it, it's it's proven to to help you become more creative. It's proven to make your staff happier. You know, it's we at PocketGamer.biz we we can't um, go one week without finding another studio that says, "Hey, we're doing four days a week now," or you know, we're 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 doing something fun for our staff. And I think that's the way it should be. And I want to bring up some of the current and kind of future trends in the mobile sector because it moves very quickly. The life cycle of consoles can be, you know, seven, eight, ten years. But the mobile market, it seems there's a new disruptor here every 18 months without fail. What do you see coming down the pipeline, not just for Squid Games, but in general? And, and how are you guys planning to either work with it or, you know, potentially ignore it entirely? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a big question. There's so many so many interesting things happening like you know obviously it goes without saying that blockchain is one of the is one of the craziest thing to ha- things to happen in games for for a little while you know um it's it's interesting like a, a lot of this stuff is i think it's dangerous to sort of take such a to take such a fast and hard angle on games um, and sort of really think that there is something that's going to be the next big solution because I think there is a tendency in mobile games, especially, to under-index on game design, um, and that's something that is that can be exacerbated by by new big trends. Where you know, a common complaint that I've heard about blockchain-centric studios and games is where is the game design, right? Like, how are you going to get players into a game where you're indexing entirely on, you know, crypto coins and, you know, maybe play to earn and stuff like that. Like it's really important, I think. And and that's kind of what I think is coming in the next couple of years is I really do believe, and hopefully Squid Games can be a part of this movement, that there's going to be a renaissance of the focus on game design, just because that's what's at the core of everything, right? That's how you make a successful game. That's how you bring something meaningful and valuable to players. And I think that, the studios are in this industry are going to start catching on to that, hopefully, in the next couple of years. See, that's that's interesting. And I I would agree with you. And I think the, the opportunities open to game designers, game developers, studios are greater than they ever have been because you now have so many different options, not just for the game's content. You have a range of devices out there where they cost 30 bucks or a thousand dollars. You know, you've got people who can play your game in similar ways, play against each other cross-platform. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, there's a variety of business models. So how you monetize, how you build that engagement is now part of the game design process. So is is this kind of where you see yourself as a studio, which is it's not just the content, what happens in each level, but it's the whole user experience, the whole user journey, the metagame, as we used to say in the olden days. Absolutely. Um, it's, I think in, in my you know, humble opinion, that's the only way to do it, right? Like you're not, you're not trying to sell hopefully like a hundred levels of your game as much as you are trying to sell this experience that players can opt in on, right? Like at the end of the day, your players are volunteers. They have, you know, they don't owe you anything. They don't owe you stick. They don't owe sticking around. They don't owe, you know, spending money on gems or coins, 
um, they're voluntarily giving you some of their time and attention, you know, in a, in a world where time is increasingly valuable, right? Like it's often said that games companies aren't just competing with each other. They're competing with Netflix now. Um, and it's, it's up to us to sort of respect players time and really work on giving them something that's going to be worth it for them. And that means the whole package. That means the world you're offering them. That means the characters they interact with. That means, you know, of course, among other things, the types of levels they're playing, the evolution of their of their experience in the game. It's it's the whole package. See, I think that's that's a very wise insight because yes, we're competing with Netflix, but games offer something that, that, that Netflix, Amazon Prime, the streaming video, the streaming audio, you know, services simply can't, which is that interaction, that agency, the ability to be a part of something. You know, you're an active player, not a passive viewer. And I think you have to respect that because people are making a, a, a decision, which kind of brings us, we're, we're getting towards the tail end of, of our time this afternoon. So I, I really wanted to ask, we've talked about Breath of the Wild, we've talked about Zelda, the, the narrative opportunities. What are your goals for Squid? Where do you where do you want to take this studio and what would be your dream project? Yeah, um, once again, another great, you know, uh, meaty question. Um, the, the goal that I've always shared with the team that I have personally is um, I would love to challenge the industry. Um, you know, I think the, the, the way to do that really is to show that a new way of doing things can be successful. In fact, really successful. And that's kind of how you're going to get the attention of these big players that have the resources to, you know, invest into really fabulous games and that have you know, the manpower to do that. And it wouldn't it just be wonderful if, you know, five years from now um, that, you know, these casual games companies are pushing the envelope and creating new genres and learning from indie studios and learning from AAA studios and bringing some of that, uh, like you said, you know, like that narrative depth, the world building, um, all of that stuff into these games. And I'm hoping really that Squid Games can be a, be a, be a big part of that. Well, that brings us to a very satisfying conclusion. It's like we've put the entire industry to right. <laughs> Jackie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Before we go, can you tell our lovely listeners where they can find you, where they can find Squid Games, how they can keep track on this mysterious as yet unnamed project and uh, where they can track you down? Absolutely. Um, you know, anyone is welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always happy to hear from people who are passionate about their craft. Um, our website is www.squidgames.com. Um, you know, we get a lot of messages from people who think we are the actual Netflix competition, but we are in fact Squid Games, the studio, and you'll see some really lovely art from our concept artist and some information about our studio there. That's fantastic. Well, that was amazing. And thanks again to Jackie for joining us. I, I look forward to speaking to her again in the near future. She raised some fantastic points that I think are relevant to almost every development studio out there, no matter what point in their evolution they're at or what size they are right now. There are certain pressures that are coming to everybody. The search for talent, the, the competition for uh, creative and skilled people really seems to be something that every studio that I've spoken to in the last couple of years is facing right now. And um, I don't think she's alone in looking at building the credibility and the, the sort of the value of the studio. I think there are far too many companies out there that are 
inwardly focused, looking at their own problems and not putting their head up and learning from others around them. So hopefully the message that others are in the same position will get out there and maybe we can get a few more people speaking to each other at killer events like PG Connect. Who knows? And it's more than likely going to be coming to a city near you at some point soon. Uh, Check out the pgconnects.com website for more. However, that brings us to the end of this episode of the pg.biz podcast. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Hopefully next week we'll have a few more team members around and about who can join us and bring their insights and experience to bear on the subjects, the matters and the issues that make up this great and glorious market that we're all a part of. Until then, please do keep in touch with us. It's pocketgamer.biz if you're looking online. Or if you're on Twitter, you can find us using the handle at PGBiz and we would look forward to hearing from you. Whether you want to ask questions, whether you want to comment on previous shows, any of the news stories that we've written, or indeed appear on a future episode of the podcast, reach out to us whatever way makes you happy. So until the next time, I've been your host, Brian Baglow, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future. Until then, stay cool.